Book One, Chapter One of Lady Bridget in the Never Never Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsty. Lady Bridget in the Never Never Land by Rosa Praed. Book One From the Point of View of Mrs. Gildea. Chapter One. Mrs. Gildea had settled early to her morning's work in what she called the veranda study of her cottage in Leichardt's town. It was a primitive cottage of the old style, standing in a garden and built on the cliff, the Emu Point side, overlooking the broad Leichardt River. The veranda, quite twelve feet wide, ran, Australian fashion, along the front of the cottage, except for the two closed-in ends forming, one a bathroom and the other a kind of store-closet. Being raised a few feet above the ground, the veranda was enclosed by a wooden railing, and this and the supporting posts were twined with creepers that must have been planted at least thirty years. One of these, a Stephanotis, showed masses of white bloom which Joan Gildeo casually reflected would have fetched a pretty sum in Covent Garden, and joining in with a fine-growing asparagus fern, formed an arch over the entrance steps. The end of the veranda where Mrs. Gildea had established herself with her typewriter and paraphernalia of literary work was screened by a thick-stemmed grapevine which made a dapple of shadow and sunshine upon the boarded floor. Some bunches of late grapes, it was the very beginning of March, hung upon the vine, and at the other end of the veranda grew a passion creeper, its great purple fruit looking like huge plums amidst its vivid green leaves. The roof of the veranda was low, with projecting eaves, below which a bunch of yellowing bananas hung to ripen. In fact, the veranda and garden beyond would have been paradise to a fruitarian. Against the wall of the storeroom stood a large tin dish piled with melons, pineapples, and miscellaneous garden produce, while between the veranda posts could be seen a guava tree, an elderly fig, and a loquat, all in full bearing. The garden seemed a tangle of all manner of vegetation, an oleander in bloom, a poinsettia, a yucca lifting its spike of waxen white blossoms, a narrow flower border in which the gardenias had become tall shrubs, and the scented verbena shrubs almost trees. As for the blend of perfume, it was dreamily intoxicating. Two bamboos guarding the side entrance gate made a soft whispering that heightened the dream sense. The bottom of the garden looked an inchoate mess of greenery topped by the upper boughs of tall straggling gum trees growing outside where the ground fell gradually to the river. From where Mrs. Gildea sat, she had a view of almost the whole reach of the river where it circles Emu Point. For as is known to all who know Leichardt's town, the river winds in two great loops, girdling two low points, so that, in striking a bee-line across the whole town, business and residential, one must cross the river three times. Mrs. Gildea could see the plan of the main street in the middle point, and the roofs of shops and offices, the busy wharves of the Leichhardt's Land Steam Navigation Company, familiarly the LLSN Co., lay opposite on her right, while leftward, across the water, she could trace, as far as the grapevine would allow, the boundary of the botanical gardens and get a sight of the white stone and grey slate end of the big parliamentary buildings. The heat haze over the town, and the brilliant sun sparkles on the river, suggested a cruel glare outside the shady veranda and overgrown old garden. A pleasant study, if a bit distracting from its plenitude of associations to Australian-born Joan Goldea, who, 
on her marriage had been transplanted into english soil as carefree as a rose cut from the parent stem and who now after nearly twenty years had returned to the scene of her youth a widow a working journalist and shorn of most of her early illusions her typewriter stood on a bamboo table before her a pile of australian hansards for reference sat on a chair at convenient distance a large table with a green cloth at her elbow had at one end a tray with the remains of her breakfast of tea scones and fruit the end nearest her was littered with sheaves of manuscript newspaper cuttings photographs and sepia sketches obviously for purposes of illustration gum bottle stylographs and the rest with also several notebooks held open by bananas recently plucked from the ripening bunch to serve as paperweights she had meant to be very busy that morning there was her weekly letter for the imperialist to send off by tomorrow's mail and moreover she had to digest the reasons of the eminent journal for returning to her an article that had not met with the editor's approval the great gibbs a potent newspaper factor in the british policy of the day it had been an immense honour when mr gibbs had chosen joan gildea from amongst his staff for a roving commission to report upon the political financial economic and social aspects of australia and upon imperial interests generally as represented in various sideshows on her route but it happened that she was now suffering from a change at the last moment in that route a substitution of the commonplace p and o for the more exciting canadian pacific mr gibbs having suddenly decided that imperialism in australia demanded his special correspondent's immediate attention for this story dates back to the time when mr joseph chamberlain was in office when imperialism free trade and yellow labour were the catchwords of a party and before the great Australian Commonwealth had become an historical fact. The imperialist's special correspondent looked worried. She was wondering whether the English mail expected today would bring her troublesome editorial instructions. She examined some of the photographs and drawings with a dissatisfied air. A running, inarticulate commentary might have been put into words like this. No good. I can imagine the letterpress all right once I get the hang of things, but when it comes to illustrations i can't even make a gum tree look as if it was growing and gibbs hates having amateur snapshots to work up hopeless to try for a local artist i wonder if colin mckeith could give me an idea why to goodness didn't biddy join me if she only had the decency to let me know in time why she couldn't money i suppose or a man well i'll write and tell her never to expect a literary leg up from me again mrs gildea pulled the sheet she had been typing out of the machine inserted another altered the notch to single spacing and rattled off at top speed till the page was covered then she appended her signature and wrote this address to the lady bridget o'hara care of eliza countess of gaverick upper brook street london w on an envelope into which she slipped the letter a letter never to be sent a snap of the gate between the bamboos added a metallic note to the tree's reedy whimperings and the postman tramped along the short garden path and up the veranda steps morning mrs gildea a heavy mail for you he planked down the usual editorial packet two or three rolls of proofs a collection of newspapers a bulky parcel of private correspondence sent on by the porter of mrs gildea's london flat some local letters and finally two square envelopes with the remark as he turned away on his round my word mrs gildea those letters seem to have done a bit of globe-trotting on their own don't they for the envelopes were covered with directions some in japanese and chinese hieroglyphics 
some in official red ink from various post offices, a few with the distinctive markings of British legations and government houses where the special correspondent should have stayed, but did not. Only her own name showing through the obliterations and a final readdressing by the bank of Leichardt's land. Mrs. Gildea recognised the impulsive, untidy but characteristic handwriting of Lady Bridget O'Hara. "'From Biddy at last!' she exclaimed, tore the flap of number one letter, paused and laid it aside. "'Business first. So she went carefully through the editorial communication. Mr. Gibbs was not quite so tiresome as she had feared he would be. After him, the packet from her London flat was inspected and its contents laid aside for future perusal. Next, she tackled the local letters. One was embossed with the Bank of Leichardt's land stamp and contained a cablegram originally dispatched from Rome, which had been received at Vancouver and thence had pursued her, first along the route originally designed, afterwards with zigzagging retrogression and much delay along the one she had taken. That it had reached her at all said a good deal for Mrs. Gildare's fame as a freely paragraphed newspaper correspondent. The telegram was phrased thus. Sorry, impossible, no funds, other reasons, writing, biddy. Mrs. Gildare's illuminative, hm, implied that her two inductions had been correct. No funds, and other reasons, meaning, a man. She scented instantly another of Biddy's tempestuous love affairs. Had it been merely a question of lack of money, with inclination goading, she felt pretty certain that Lady Bridget would have contrived to beg, borrow, or steal, on a hazardous promissory note, after the happy-go-lucky financial morals of that section of society to which by birth she belonged. Or, failing these means, that she would have threatened some mad enterprise, and so have frightened her Aunt Eliza, Countess of Gaverick, into writing a cheque for three figures. Of course less would have been of no account. Mrs. Gildea opened the two envelopes, and sorted the pages in order of their dates. The first had the address of a house in South Belgravia, where lived Sir Luke Tallant of the Colonial Office, and Rosamond, his wife, distant connections of the Gavericks. Lady Bridget's letters were typewritten, most carelessly, with the mistakes corrected down the margin of the flimsy sheets in the manner of author's proof, the whole appearance of them suggesting literary copy. Likewise, the slapdash epistolary style of the MS, which had a certain vividness of its own. End of Book One, Chapter One